we want to share a special song, uh, and it's one that as we look at the message this morning, uh, I had the unfortunate distinction of coming up with a great special music. I thought, who's going to sing it? And I realized no one else knew it, so uh, <laughs> that sort of fell to me, and then Hannah graciously uh, agreed to do that with me. It's a song from years ago from an artist that's a small, a married couple that love to share their faith through music. And uh, we hope that it blesses you this morning. Others may wander, but you 
kinds of things to Some may plant and others may water, but you cause all things to grow. Oh, great vine, hold me inside. I'll trust your hands as you prune me. Oh, great vine, Jesus Christ, you cause all things to grow. The series that we've been doing on and off throughout the summer, as we've done it again, the series, But God, this, this idea that the phrase, But God, as we see it in Scripture, opens up new doors, that it, it, it talks about the importance of God stepping in, of God doing what only God can do. Uh, it's also my only time doing one of these sermons in the series, so... It's a new thing for me. It's a new thing for you. And I think this should be good. Uh, and one of the reasons I wanted to look at that song this morning is the passage this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Now, let's see if you can find anything familiar here. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigns to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Before we go any further this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. God, we thank you for today. And we thank you for the privilege it is to come to your word to give you glory as we study it together. And God, we ask that as we read, that your spirit would be at work in each of us to help us hear, to help us understand, and to help us apply your words to our hearts and our lives. Would you be honored and glorified in this, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, we've talked about the church in Corinth before, and if I were to summarize it pretty simply, the church in Corinth had problems. Now, we might look at this and say, well, that's, that's fair. The church in Corinth had problems, but the reality is all, all churches have problems. And Corinth gets a bad rap because they had all their problems listed by Paul, written in Scripture, and people go through again and again. The church in Galatia had problems. The church in Ephesians had problems. It might be news to you, but the church in Embarrass has problems. And the last thing I think most of us would want is Paul to come in and list out all of those things and where we're wrong. We're really thankful he's dead, right? I did not expect you to laugh. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, there were problems in Corinth. This morning we're going to look at two big problems and how God answers those problems. And the first one is pretty simple. Problem one, they lost sight of the gospel. Now we see this in verse four. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, Paul says they're merely being human. Specifically, according to the previous verses, that is earlier in chapter, uh, earlier, uh, well, earlier in chapter 3, starting in verse 1, they are infants in Christ. He said, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Now to break this down in a few simple phrases, uh, it's not what the church in Corinth wanted to hear. He's saying your, your faith is there, but you're immature. And the way I can tell that you're immature is you're not spiritual people. You are still of the flesh. And I knew this when I was with you because I couldn't give you deep things. I gave you the essentials of the faith and only the essentials of faith, like milk to an infant, but not yet ready to eat solid food. And here they might think of themselves as full grown adults, able to consume what they want, do what they want. But Paul says, no, as I look at your spiritual condition, you are not mature. You are so immature, it's like you can't even eat solid food. You couldn't handle complex doctrine or teaching. You needed the essentials of the faith. And even then... They've lost it. For you are still of the flesh. You are not spiritual people. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? See, what they've started to do is create divisions amongst themselves and say, look, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos. As Paul wrote earlier in 1 Corinthians, this is in chapter 1, there is division and quarreling over who they follow. He says to you, this is, uh, says to them, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. 
Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say you were, you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. See, more than once Paul talks about this division of people saying, look, I follow this person or I follow this person. Now, Paul takes great issue with this. What do you mean I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow follow Cephas? For those of you who are unfamiliar, Cephas is uh, Peter. It's just his name in different languages. Yeah, it works out this way. Uh, Or Christ. And Paul takes issue with people saying, I follow Paul or I follow Christ. You say, well, hold on. What are you talking about? I follow Paul or I follow Christ. Those things are not on the same page. It's not I follow Paul. If anyone follows Paul, they follow Christ. And I'm sure that for Apollos or for Peter, Cephas, that that's the same thing. Not one of these apostles would say you follow me or you follow Christ. No, each of them are sent as apostles of Christ to do the work of Christ, to win people to Christ. None of it is about them. But the Corinthians see these leaders, see these teachers, and are dividing over who they follow. Not only that, there's confusion over what it is or who it is that can save them. And if it wasn't a miscommunication, and I can assure you, Paul is not going to say, well, maybe there was a misunderstanding over whether I'm winning people to myself or Christ. No, no. Paul's clear. Apollos is clear. Cephas is clear. There was a misunderstanding on the part of the church in Corinth who were putting their hope in the wrong place and then choosing to divide over it. Paul follows up with some simple questions. Is Christ divided? I love when Paul does this because he asks a question knowing the answer. It is the very definition of a rhetorical question. Is Christ divided? No, of course not. No one can say that Christ is divided. It was Paul crucified for you. Well, of course not. Who would even suggest that? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And he says, essentially, that would be absurd. In fact, he goes on to describe, I barely baptized anyone. I love that human moment where he thinks, well, maybe I did baptize more people than I thought. Uh, But beyond that, I think that's it. I think that's everybody. He's glad he didn't baptize more people. It's funny because I can't think of too many Christian servants who would say the same. I am so glad I didn't baptize more people. Can you imagine if I said that or if Marlon said that? You'd think, well, that seems crazy. But in Paul's case, it's because he doesn't want anyone to be confused over who it is that they're baptizing people in the name of. It's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Cephas. It's about Christ. That they're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Paul is glad that he didn't baptize more people because it means that there's less confusion. And at least in his own mind, he can say, I didn't muddy the gospel by getting my name mixed up with Christ. No, he has assurance that he's put Christ first and foremost. That no one might be confused with the gospel, or as he puts it, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its, of its power. 
Now, the problem here is that their faith and the focus of their faith had shifted away from Christ and toward the servants of Christ. According to Paul's address in the beginning of chapter 1, the church in Corinth had received Christ in faith. And as well as the account in Acts 18, many in Corinth came to faith after hearing Paul preach about Jesus. And they were baptized, presumably in the name of Christ. And yet somewhere along the line, divisions began to arise, specifically over who they followed. Almost as if their faith was more valid based on who was preaching when they came to believe, or who baptized them, putting simple men on the same level as Jesus. And it shows that they lost sight of the gospel. That, of course, is not the only problem happening in the church in Corinth. That brings us to problem number two, that they didn't understand the process. Now, Jesus in Matthew 28 outlined the process of making disciples. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And here's this, the focus here, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The apostles were to go and to baptize and they were to teach baptism assumed faith in the name in which they were baptized, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the teaching was to enable those that they taught to observe all the commands of Christ. The focus was not on the apostles, but on the one who sent them, each of which played a unique role in the process of raising up and making disciples. Now, you can think about the first aspect, that it's almost as if they thought one apostle was greater than another. He says, for, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Paul says rather clearly, Paul is not greater than Apollos. Apollos is not greater than Paul. Both equally are servants assigned by Christ who is greater to help them, that is the church in Corinth, to believe in Christ. And Paul reiterates this at the end of chapter 3. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. The focus should never be on men because men cannot save you. Christ alone is worthy of that glory because in Christ alone do we have salvation. His unique position as the only begotten Son. His vicarious and atoning death and resurrection without sin or, ble or blemish are things Christ can claim that no one else can. It's not about men and what they can bring to the table, but the ones that they, the one they represent, Christ. No one else can claim what Christ can claim. And just as importantly, the apostles didn't even try. But somewhere along the way, the Corinthians got it mixed up. They got confused. Maybe you say that, that Paul, 
taught that one type of role was greater than another. But even that isn't the case. He doesn't claim to have a greater role than any of the other apostles, just a specific role. Not that preaching was more important or more valuable than baptizing, but Christ sent him to preach, not to baptize. And at least what we can infer from what Paul is saying is that some are sent to preach, some are sent to baptize, some are sent to teach. And we see this in the different apostles. Each had a specific role, whether it was in one church or in another church. One was not greater than another. Their roles were different. Their roles were unique, but all their roles were equal and necessary. Paul said in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, Apollos watered. He said in verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. He said in verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. And it brings up some very practical questions. What good is planting a seed and then neglecting to care for it? Nothing. What good is caring for a seed that was never planted? (laughs) Nothing. Neither is more important, but each is equally necessary. But we need to ask a third question and the most important one. What good is it to plant or water separate from the only thing that can give it life? Paul knew this. So did Apollos and Cephas. And some like Cephas would have heard it from Jesus himself. Others like Paul would have heard it from those who were there. This is from John 15. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so there is a shift in focus, not on the servant, not on the service they provide, but on the one they serve. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God that gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters, this is verse 8, are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul did not have the power to save them. Apollos did not have the authority to wash their sins away. Cephas couldn't transform their hearts. They were mere humans given specific roles in a process and a miracle that relied solely on God. It was the Father's will that we be saved. For this, He sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And by the work of the Spirit, we come to believe and obey. Only in this manner do sinful men turn from their rebellion. Only according to God's power could any be transformed and called to serve and see them as anything more than servants. Paul, Apollos, Cephas. It muddies the gospel 
Because as they're doing the work that Christ has appointed for them, according to Christ's gospel, to elevate these men to positions they don't belong in, muddies the gospel and empties it of its power. Which brings us to the third part. They had their first problem, they had their second problem, and that is the part where God steps in. It's the reason we call this series, But God, because it describes the situation humanity is in, or maybe the situation as we perceive it, but then it shifts. And this phrase, but God, leads us into the part that makes all the difference. And so we see that it's one person serving in one role, one person serving in another role, but Christ who makes the difference. That some of us function in one capacity, some function in another, and yet it's God that everything relies on. Now, we have a problem in, in our day and age, and this even in the church, with following celebrities. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands to see who's on Facebook or Instagram or uh, Twitter, X, I suppose it's called now, or any of the other social media platforms. I won't do that. I'm not on any of them. but that's just because I, I, they made me realize I had a temper problem with social media. So I thought if I get rid of it, maybe I won't go back. And I have been clean for over 10 years. <laughs> no, we, we live in a culture that, that focuses on celebrities. We make celebrities out of anybody. You can post a YouTube video, and if enough people think it's interesting or funny, you'll get on the news, you'll get a whole following, and at least for 15 minutes, people will care who you are. And then they'll forget about you and move on to the next interesting thing. And yet we have this, this idea of celebrity. And even within Christianity, there is a fad. And it's nothing new. We like to latch on to famous people and allow them to have incredible influence over our lives. And you might say, well, I don't follow secular celebrities. And I'd say, well, good. But as Christians, we do the same thing. Believe it or not, there is such a thing as Christian celebrities. We have the best intentions and we follow Christians. We might say, I love this musician and her music really leads me to worship. Or there's this new pastor I listened to, and I really loved what he had to say. Good things. A good reason to, to see what these people bring, especially as they're serving Christ. But we live in a culture where a legitimate career choice is influencer. Where you can make a... And when I say legitimate career choice, it is not an encouragement to pursue that as a career choice. I just wanted to say that. Uh, for the young and easily influenced among you, don't do it. Um, and yet enough people make a living off of being influencers, on being on social media, on influencing what people buy, what they wear, what they do, what they think. Imagine being in a situation where you think, I am the sort of person people should listen to and follow. Now you might say, well, that's a lot coming from the guy speaking from the front. But I'll tell you honestly, I don't want to be here. <laughs> and if it weren't for God's calling, I would not be up here at all. And yet God's called me to do uncomfortable things. And so here I am, sweating in front of all of you. 
even with the best intentions, we can allow other people, these influences in our lives, to have incredible power at places that we elevate people to a position of, of authority, of influence in our lives, in our faith that they should never have. In some cases, even beyond that of Christ. I know the Bible says this, but this person I follow says this, and honestly, they're convincing. That I know God wants me to do this, but I'm following this person who, who says that this is the sort of life I should lead. And honestly, I believe them, and I want to believe them more than Christ. And we might not think about it, but there are places in each of our lives where we've given someone more influence than they deserve. Or where we've given ideas, where we've given cultural expectations more weight in our lives than they ever should. That if we're honest, certain things have equal or greater position than Christ. And the thing that I have to say about that is if it's a Christian celebrity, then certain things should be true. If they are in a position of Christian service, then they are servants to Christ and his gospel and no servant is greater than his master. And so regardless of the position of authority they might have in our world, the reality is their position in the kingdom is equal with anyone else. Specifically under Christ, in service to Christ, for the glory of Christ. And if that gets out of proportion, then it's not someone that we should allow to have that sort of influence in our lives. And you might say, well, I don't follow celebrities, but there's a teacher that I like. And the problem is we can do this with other people as well. There might be celebrity pastors. There might be celebrity authors. There might be people that we think it's a Christian and I really respect what they have to say, a Christian influencer. It doesn't matter what their official title is. If they identify as a Christian, someone who serves Christ, then this applies to them. Now, I will say that while the pay sadly doesn't reflect this, there is no position in the kingdom of greater importance than another. Missionaries, evangelists, pastors, teachers in Christian churches, schools and universities are all on equal footing. Now, when I say the pay doesn't reflect that, it's because often there are celebrity pastors who get paid incredible amounts of money and there are missionaries who struggle to get by. There are teachers in, in churches, in universities, in high schools that are serving because they feel that's where God would have them be. Often for no pay, sometimes for little pay. You'd be surprised. It seems like a, a prestigious position, but often you do it because you love it and because you're called to it, not because it supports you. And yet, if we, if we look at it at a different way, we evaluate our budgets, our priorities, even respect differently for each do we recognize the effort and prayer that goes into discipling children week in and week out do we honor the sacrifice it takes to upheave our lives and to serve god abroad or even in our communities do we respect the humble obedience of those who come and serve when we gather or do we find people and say yes this is an important teacher. In fact, I've known churches and people who have left churches because they don't hold to one specific teacher's position on something. We elevate some above others and we forget the reason that they serve in the first place or even who they serve. Even separating because others don't hold to the same convictions of a teacher we like or to the same interpretation of some obscure doctrine. Well, they don't make coffee the same way I like it. 
No, it's okay. Just bring yours from home. That's that's an easy solution for that one. No, we start to sound a lot like the church in Corinth. I follow John MacArthur. I follow Ken Ham. I follow Marlon Bjornrud. I follow Christ. And that's not a slight against any of those teachers. It's merely something that we need to remember from time to time. That regardless of who they are or the quality of their teaching, if they don't serve Christ, their teaching is worthless. And if they do serve Christ, then they are not greater than Christ. And so there should not be division or quarreling among you. The answer to both problems that they lost sight of the gospel, that they didn't understand the process is really answer, uh, is really easy to answer. That it was God's will to save us, that it was accomplished by the death and resurrection of Christ, fulfilled in the working of the Holy Spirit in those who believe. In actuality, it is God who plants, it is God who waters, and it is God who gives the growth. That he uses people to accomplish this does not detract from his hand at work So long as it's those serving him and we recognize that it's God who's behind it. Now, throughout this entire series, we've looked at the phrase, but God and how it changes everything. And in our passage today, Paul dismantles those two huge problems. That they lost sight of the gospel, that they didn't understand God's process of discipleship and transformation. Because of this, they put their hope in Paul and in the other apostles, allowing the focus of their faith to drift from Jesus to men, to those who had no hope or power to save them. Even then, they acted as if one apostle in their role was greater than another. And if we want to simplify the key verse in this passage We can say this, some plant, some water, but God gives the growth. If we want to simplify it further, we could say it like this. It all depends on God. It is a humbling reminder, and rightfully so. Humility is the beginning place of faith, and the place in which God moves most powerfully in our lives. It is, if you'll allow me to continue the illustration, the fertile ground in which God grows and matures our faith. If our greatest sin is pride, then our greatest act of obedience is to humble ourselves before God and admit that without Him, we are and can do nothing. Salvation cannot be found anywhere else. It depends on God. We are not greater than anyone else. It all depends on God. If we are of any use in building up the kingdom of God, It is because of the will of the Father, the sacrifice of the Son, and the transformative power of the Spirit. It is His gospel, according to His mercy, for the sake of His church and the salvation of His people, that He has called any of us, let alone each and every one of us that believe, to serve some part in His plan to lead others to a saving knowledge of who He is, of what He's done. And his love for them is a wonder that should humble us and lead us to glorify God. That he has given his spirit to each of us, empowering us to serve him in ways that we could not do on our own. Instead of puffing us up with conceit or pride, it should humble us and cause us to wonder at the unity we have as fellow members of Christ's body of equal value 
of equal use and purpose in God's church. The reality of faith, of salvation, of life together is simple. We might try to make it about us, but it all depends on God. In closing, I'd like to read a benediction from God's Word and let that lead us into prayer. And so as Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, I join in asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for today. And we thank You for doing what only You could do. And God, we might stop and think that the church in Corinth was full of, of people who were not like us, who were easily swayed and gave in to sin and to selfishness, and that we're so much different. But God, would you just remind us how similar we are? That even though we see ourselves as mature, that often we're still spiritual infants needing just the essentials of the faith, to be reminded of the essentials of the gospel again and again. And Lord, it's only because of your work in us that we can grow to any level of maturity. And so God, would you humble us and help us to humble ourselves to allow you to work, to help us grow and mature. God, if we are guilty of elevating anyone to a position they should not be, God, help us to, to come back to a place where you are above all. Where even good influences are not more important than your gospel. Where even good and useful books are not above your word. Would you help us to look to you first and foremost. To glorify you first and foremost. And remember that each and every one of us, as servants of Christ, have an equal place in the position you've called us to serve and to help build your kingdom for your glory. Be glorified in us as we respond, as we fellowship, and as we go about our day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close the service this morning, would you stand and sing with us?